Good evening, Patriots. And it's Thursday, June 2nd, in the year 2022. And of course, on the East Coast, you're already in tomorrow on Friday. We'll catch up with you here pretty quick. Patriots, make sure you're getting a good night's sleep. And the best way to do that is to have the products that ensure a good night's sleep. That's coming from my pillow. Right now as well, if you head over to the Bards FM landing page, which is mypillow.com forward slash Bards, you're going to find an amazing print on there for sale. With your promo code, you can get it down to $29.99. It's the Lion of Judah. All of that in addition to fantastic sheets and pillows that ensure that you will get the best sleep of your life. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and as you know, my passion is to help each and every one of you get the best sleep of your life. That's why I created my new Giza Dreams bed sheets. I started by using the world's best cotton called Giza. It's only grown in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. I guarantee you they'll be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. I do not like my sheets. I love Mikey's a dream sheet. I'm interrupting this commercial to bring you my BOGO extravaganza. For example, you can buy one of my Giza Dream bed sheets and get a second set absolutely free. Or my six-piece towel sets. Buy one set, get another one absolutely free. Or you can get my classic premium my pillow and get another one absolutely free. So call the number on your screen or go to mypillow.com. Use your promo code to get my buy one, get one free offers and get deep discounts on all my pillow products. And that's mypillow.com forward slash bards where all the these sales and there's many buy one get one free you have $90 off on a pair of my slippers you have the ability to get one of Mike Lindell's a copy of his book a complimentary for free when you use your promo code with every order there's the new print the Lion of Judah there's mattress toppers there's mattresses everything you need for your home and more that's mypillow.com forward slash bards promo code bards and you head on over there, and you can also call, if you want to speak to a breathing person, 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939. And that's going to get you in front of a Patriot Pillow Counselor, and they are there to help and assist you with the best pillow products on the market. I'm going to play something here, just a perspective of us being in the matrix, and I think it's very relevant the matrix has you part three have you ever thought why do i have to go to school and who made this decision the industrial revolution was changing the world but in america there weren't enough employees and this was a problem for the elites so john d rockefeller set up the general education board building on the work of horace mann the job was simple indoctrinate children to love their servitude and not oppose authority modeled after the education system of the prussian empire which was germany children were taught duty Discipline, respect for authority, ability to follow orders, respect for the king, and social obedience. It was also designed to remove independent thought and the ability to critically think. Frederick Taylor Gates, who was Rockefeller's principal business advisor, who was also on the General Education Board, wrote in his book, The Country School of Tomorrow, In our dream, we have limitless resources, and the people yield themselves with perfect docility to our molding hands. Oh, and if you think I'm just a conspiracy theorist for questioning the intentions of the system, guess where you got that idea? Isn't that amazing how long this has been going on? The more that we start to open our eyes and realize what's actually happening. On one hand, the more biblical it becomes. And on the other hand, it's stunning how much our history has been rewritten, has been hidden from us, and how much we have been 
shaped and molded to be obedient slaves to the rich and the predatorial or predatorial elite. I wanted to say pedophile elite, which is probably true too. Here's another perspective here, a really interesting piece on Christopher Columbus. Well, this one made my head hurt. When people think of the privilege, they usually think of this and this. Unfortunately, they don't see that these guys are just little small pods. Now, yes, these guys are huge players. That's They're Illuminati. pulling major strings, using us, manipulating us, killing us. Unfortunately, these guys are just part of another puppet show. Welcome to the black nobility. Now, I've done some on the gray pope, the white pope, the black pope. But someone pointed out to me recently that the Colonna family was in charge of the United States. These guys can be traced back to prior to ancient Rome. Not only did they have remarkable influence in Rome, but in Spain as well. They had influence in courts, politics, and choosing popes. So what sent me here was how similar this is to Cologne. Follow me on this one. Columbus. Yep, I'm going there. In his Italian native language, it was pronounced Cristoforo Colombo. When he migrated to Spain, it was Cristobal Colón. All you have to do is research surnames and all this will come up. We just Americanized his name into Christopher Columbus. Many historians tie him to the Colonna family. No, he never actually landed on North America. It was South America. Like Colombia. Hmm. With the family having so much pull in Spain, he was funded to go find the new world. Or as I like to now call it, claim it for Rome and the Colonna family. They were backed by the banks and the biggest family in Spain. The family was Americanized into the Collins. You have to remember that secrecy is just their thing. Now let's connect all the dots. Columbia, South America. Knights of Columbus. Columbia Pictures. The District of Columbia. Bill Collins was signed by Disney. His daughter became an actress. Chuck Collins wrote a book with Bill Gates. Sir Francis Collins, director of the NIH through the pandemic. Susan Collins, she wrote Hunger Games. These might be softer connections, but Joan Collins, she did some heavy duty horror films. And we can trace the Collins family back to New England during the witch trials. Michael Collins, he was flying the ship when Neil and Buzz landed on the moon. The Collins are everywhere, a.k.a. Cologne, a.k.a. Colombo, a.k.a. Colonna. I would love to know what our founding fathers thought of this and what the hell we are even supposed to do. That's amazing. And once again, right before us, thanks to a retarded education system that has never allowed us to think. We are dealing with a connection, which all makes sense if you understand the histories that go back to Spain, the conquering of the new world, the family. There's always been this weird one. It's how, how all of a sudden did Columbus, if you know the story that they tell in schools, which is somehow like he cracked an egg and he presented it to the Pope and he's like, guess what? The world is round and the Pope's like, okay, no problem. We'll fund you to prove it. Whatever. All of these sorts of crazy things. But what we do know is that they change their names when they get exposed and the bloodlines they keep track of. So there's basically two ledgers. They have their internal ledger and they have the public face 
and we've ended up we are we are run by a black nobility that is the hand behind the hand everybody else is just the puppet show your leadership right now that everybody's looking at in the democrat party that's a and the republican party as well never forget them those are just the stage actors that they want you to look at and when you get into that next layer with the Larry Finks and the world bankers, that's just another layer they want you to look at. When they talk about Illuminati, that's what, if it's in the public and in the dialogue, you know it's not the real thing. So the Illuminati are just another stage show. And what's the real power behind the black Pope and the white Pope? It's the black nobility. And they go back decades because Rome never went away. Rome has just taken on different forms. And it's always been in our face. If you've been wondering if Rome ever died, all you have to say is no and listen to these words. Roman Catholic Church. It's right there the whole time. It's all about shell games and and front companies. Our biggest, when she says at the end there, then what are we to do with this? What we do with this all the time, we take this to God. This is a fight of good versus evil. And it's truly our position with God that makes the difference. What, if you look at consistently, consistently what they have done over time is they have intersected our relationship with the Lord to make us believe that we are just humans here on earth and that our relationship with Christ or with God is a secondary effect. It's like we're born into the world and it's like, okay, and when you're born, if you're of the if you're of the disposition, then you might accept Christ and develop a relationship with God. But otherwise, have a good time when you're here. And some of you won't because some of you will suffer the pains of torture and and poverty because you haven't played the game that we want you to, so we're going to punish you. But Enjoy your life. Consume lots of things. And what they've become very good at, and they learned this through the Industrial Revolution. They learned this when they started doing the Land Closures Acts in the 1700s to force people off the land into the cities to gain labor forces. The same problem that they faced with not having people to go to, the, go to work under Rockefeller to train them through schools to condition them to be obedient They had already run into that problem in England. It was called the Land Closures Act. When you look at the Land Closures Act, you're going to discover something really amazing. They look a whole lot like Agenda 2030. All of this was a bigger hand of people running behind the scenes of the black nobility, pulling the strings on all of this. And it was a time when information was not central and distributed or easily accessed. Information was coveted and held easily by secret societies. Here's an interesting little note. In the Elizabethan period, leading up to the Elizabethan period, God was seen to be inside of each of us. But once the church rose up in power, they moved God to the church to say that God was exterior to us and that we were to worship at the temple to have access to God. That sounds a whole lot like the Pharisees to me. So it is essential that we start to reclaim the ungovernable 
aspect of who we really are. We were never intended to be governed like this. Again, the structure of the Declaration of Independence is very, very important. It was set up that God was on the throne, our creator was on the throne, and that we were given life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those were unalienable rights that no one could take away from us, unless, of course, we did it on our own. And then from there, government was subordinate to the people, selected by the people to handle the affairs of the people, but it was subordinate to the people, and everything was subordinate to God. Look at where we are today. In this nation, in this world, everyone is subordinate to the elites who have proclaimed themselves to be God. And if you follow so, so much of their garbage, they are going to tell you that even the concept of God was something of their creation to keep you divided and confused. The irony of the elites, especially if you listen to them talk today like Harari, who I hope has a speed ticket, a fast ticket right to hell for all that he does. What's interesting for all their pro- proclaiming to be able to control, to manipulate, to uh, be able to hack human beings, you'll notice that they're taking credit for God's work in the very premise of what they're saying. They're not creating anything. They're modifying what God has created. And apparently it's not going real well because in spite of their effects to try to destroy half the world with this injection or more, they've injected them, but the body temple is stronger than that and it hasn't had the massive effect that they wanted, though it is having real effect. Don't, don't say that it's not. And so much of that is that we are greater than we know and God has put in things in us that is greater than we understand. We just have to continue to have trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. If we are honest about the way our world works and honest in the way that the world wants us to comply, we don't lean on God on all of our own understanding. Instead, we, we try to interpret things ourselves before we lean on God or we go to God in the beginning and then we try to do it ourselves. We haven't, as a society, been effective at unifying the walk with God in all things. And the whole point of walking in the body of Christ is that we're completely unified in everything we do, breath and step. That means there's no separation between a decision that we are, a direction or decision that we're making and a unity in the relationship with Christ. But this world works very hard and spends literally trillions of dollars to convince us otherwise and to put between us and that relationship something very fundamental. It's the worship of things. And they've learned this a long ago, that the shiny silver object was something easy for the weak mind to be tricked by. The discipline that it takes to break past their control is a lot. 
It's a daily regime. It's hard work. We know it. And that hard discipline is what makes the difference in setting free from the matrix or being trapped by the matrix. But it's interesting how the effects of, the, of stories about God and stories about many things in life affect a way outside of the control of, of these people. The question is, can we push enough truth out there to constantly tear down their walls? And the answer is, yes, we can. And if we trust in God, those stories will continue to permeate and our truths will begin to continue to push and they will continue to fracture and break down the walls of the matrix and set more people free. I'm going to play an interesting story here. It's about three minutes of a piece. It's worth listening to. Okay. Uh, I'm just sharing this with you. And like I said, this is something that is an intern that really changed my life. I had a patient, got stabbed in the heart. When I walked in the, in the ER, because I was on the ER, but the surgeon had his chest cracked open, mm-hmm. and he had his finger in the guy's heart. Mm-hmm. And they pronounced him dead. He was a young man, maybe 22, 23 years old. Drug deal that went bad. He died, and the surgeon was a Christian, Dr. Forster to be exact, said, we're not going to let him go without a fight. So he took him to the OR, took him to surgery, pumped him full of blood, got a pulse, uh, tied the uh, hole in his heart up with a suture. And, th- and since I was on the surgery unit, I had to wait until he woke up. After about four hours, the guy woke up, and he looked me in the eye, and he grabbed me, and he started crying, sobbing, and he said, I met the devil. And I said, what do you mean you met the devil? He said, I saw you working on me. I was dead. I never prayed. And he could feel, he went straight down into hell. And he, and he said he looked in the eyes of the devil, and he prayed. He said he never prayed before. It was never spiritual. And he said, please, God, I'll change my life. And he felt an angel or a hand pull him back up. And that's when he awoke. And, and, and it was the most amazing experience because he was he was legit. I mean, no one makes up something like that. And, and, and last I heard, he's completely changed his life. He gave his life to God. And I still, to this day, the look in his eye when he woke up, the terror, I'm absolutely convinced that he did meet the devil. And... And once again, I've not followed up on where he's at now, but I heard he's doing really good. And if I can get that information, I'll get it for you. Okay. Uh, what was your reaction when the doctor told you uh, that they were going to sew him back up? And oh, oh, I thought he was crazy because the guy bled out. He was dead. There was blood on the ceiling because he got stabbed in the heart, blood all around him. And he had no pulse. He was lifeless. And the Christian doctor said, Dr. Forrester, um, we're going to take him and we're going to try to revive him and it was the it was actually miraculous because the guy was dead he completely bled out and you don't open someone's chest in the er stick your finger in, in, in a hole um that's that's a last ditch effort and i thought he was crazy but uh now in retrospect it happened for a reason and that basically changed my whole outlook on, on medicine and that was when i was a young intern back in 1989 wow it was just an amazing spiritual experience, and the guy was legit, and, and once again, no one goes through something like that and makes that up, especially if that's the first thing he said when he woke up. And by looking at the terror in his eyes, he did meet the devil. That's, and that's, I am convinced of that. Amen. Yep. Okay. 
And, and, I, and, and I want to write more stuff for you, and I want to get together with you, I do. I okay. Have amazing. And, and if I can ever get the records for this guy, I would like to I would like to be able to do a book and have documentation would be the right way to do it. Right, right, right. God is powerful and works in so many ways, and all we have to do is have the profound faith in him. And I think that's really the key to all of that, is that we need to, in this midst of all these storms, and there's many, and there's false flags, and there's concerns about financial status and what's going to happen and if things collapse. Everybody has concerns. But the ultimate release, as we know, is simply to give it all to God and truly to have trust in him. I listened to a piece the other earlier, and it's, it was an interesting perspective. It's someone who was just kind of giving a prophecy, but and it was the way they said it that caught me. At first I said, no, that can't be. And then as I thought about it, I'm like, why wouldn't God say something like this? <laughs> it was basically this. It's like, when are you all going to quit not believing me? Um, and, the, and the next words were, I'm not a liar. I have told you that I will fight for you. I have told you to have no fear. And, the, and the, as I thought about this, it's like, I don't know whether the prophecy was true. It's the point that those words resonated very accurately and truly in my heart. Because it is a simple fact. Why do we even have fear? And when you look at this and we, and we go through it because people have anxiety and fear and you ask, it's like, why? How many times have we been told in scripture? 350, depending on the version and more, perhaps in, depending on the version of your, of your Bible, fear not. I mean, do we question that about God? Do, do we, when we have anxieties and we have these different things going on, we're worried about the future. Are we, are we seriously, are we questioning God's resolve? And it's those doubts that have been so successful with this world that we're in that have put things in between us and God. And it was done intentionally because once you can see doubt in a heart, it's very difficult to get it out. Now, Patriots, there's something I meant to mention at the beginning, and I, I, I'm going to ask now just to recognize our one of our great mods, Libin, has had some challenges in her family today and yesterday I understand was kind of a hard day as well just ask you to please keep her in your prayers Um, this is one of these times that this is when we come together strong with our prayers and we do and we support each other and just ask that you do that she's wonderful mod wonderful person so as we move on here and, and really keep this in balance and perspective. We have to remind ourselves in the midst of this storm. And we have to keep our focus truly on God's words. And one of the things that strikes me, and it gets to the core of this, is Luke 18, 8. This is red letter language. And Listen to these words very carefully. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's a really profound statement coming from Christ. And when we look around the world right now, and 
I think we all have to rebuke ourselves a bit at one point or another to ask ourselves, where, where has been our faith? Because at one point or another, and I'm not talking about right at this moment, but everybody at one point or another has had these massive doubts like, oh, you know, it's the end of the world. The cabal is going to take over. We're going to be living. And I guess the, the answer would be, who cares? Because whatever that path is that's ahead for us, God needs us to be there. And the one thing that God has told us is he will fight for us. There's no problem with that. So do we trust in God or are we going to be consumed by these narratives of nonsense of who's going to be in charge? And we do a wonderful job. If, we're, if you let our minds go because of this programming that's done so effectively in Hollywood and they do it intentionally to try to seed into your idea these ideas of fear, the idea that, oh my goodness, you know, we're going to be tortured. If we get thrown in jail, we're going to be raped. We're going to be turned into somebody's hand sex puppet. If, if we're alone in our house, someone's going to break in and, and shoot us. All of this is programmed. And it's done intentionally because what it does is it demeans and diminishes our relationship with God. And when that happens... We're not following our path. And in truth, it is a great question that comes back to us is, will he find faith on earth? Now, we're quick to say, of course, I believe in Jesus. But faith is not something that we switch on and off. In fact, the farther we walk into faith, it is 100%, period. I've mentioned this before because it's a completely different perspective on our faith. And it's Zen Buddhism, which I did have a time when I did a lot of study in Zen Buddhism. And the interesting thing about Zen is that the whole process, there's kind of two major approach uh, goals in Zen. One is to kill thyself. And I don't mean physically. It's like you have to kill the self that's been created by this world. The one that's been formed by all the lies so that you can then be set free and unite yourself with the perfection and harmony with all things. Those are your two steps. And unfortunately, there's a lot of wisdom in that that we don't carry over into our faith. Walking in the unity in the body of Christ is walking in the purity of truth. And walking in the purity of truth means that at a certain point we have to deconstruct that which was created in this earth and that is hence accepting Christ and being reborn, and we become a, a new person. And to embrace what that means doesn't mean that we're a new person with the old habits of going back and doing the same stuff over and over, and then constantly coming back and going, oh, well, guess what? That isn't the idea. Now, the difference, and I'm, I'm not making these sound equal, but I wanted to show you a difference in process. In the process of Zen, that process of becoming united with the perfection of all things is a steady process of growth. And in that process, there is no discussion about you being failure, being a perpetual sinner, being unworthy. There's, that does not exist in there. Instead, it's a process of development, of releasing and breaking down and growing into a relationship with the perfection of all things. In our formations of the way we're taught Christianity in the church, 
You are all, we are all a sinner. We are undeserving. We are broken down. And somewhere in there, we're simply supposed to live and accept Christ suddenly and abruptly. And then everything is going to change. That's not really realistic. And our evolution in the walk in Christ with the body of Christ should be a steady process each day of growing deeper into him. And it, as I say so many times, God did not say anywhere in there that we were unworthy. In fact, if we were unworthy, then why would he have bothered to sacrifice his son? We are truly wonderful, amazing, incredible people, incredible creations for, because God created us. And with that, part of that responsibility for us is to pursue that greater relationship through the body of Christ, through the walking in Christ, which is the perfection of truth. And it's such a profound thing, but we're surrounded by all of the influences that are telling us otherwise. We know from our education systems and the history of that, that it was done intentionally to dumb people down, to make people governable, not ungovernable, to make people compliant and obedient to authority. But that's not what God did for us. That's Lucifer's hand. And we're at a very important point in our world right now, in our, each of our lives, that each of us are having to make constant and steady choices as to what path we want to be on. Do we want to seek that higher path, that narrow gate, that one that is very difficult and it's the pursuit of life? It's also the one that guarantees that we shall be, we shall be pursued by those that hate us because we represent something that they don't have. And in the representing of us, of things that we don't have, they'd begun to hate us. I'm going to play this piece again. I played this earlier in the previous show, and it's by Jordan Peterson. I want you to hear what he's saying because what he's talking about is why those that become hateful, what's at the root of it? And it's truly the hatred of God's creation, and he takes it back to Cain and Abel. I wanted to ask you about the, based on your 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 knowledge, your background, your clinical experience, what, what is the psychology of this mob violence? When I see it, 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 uh, like, I, I don't even recognize some of these, it seems, they seem animalistic is what I mean. Um, in, no, they're the worse August, than animals. They're worse than animals because animals, they just kill to eat, you know, human beings, they have a twist in them that makes them far worse than animals when they really get going. Well, I think it's, I think, you really want to know what I think? I think it's revenge yes. against God for the crime of being. That's really what I think. It's Cain and Cain and Abel. It's like, oh, Abel's your, Abel's your guy, eh, God? How about if I take him out in the field and beat him to death? How do you feel about that? All my sacrifices went unrewarded. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's what it is at the bottom of the hell of things. He was really moved in that statement when I watched the video earlier, and he was emotionally moved. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, it's an interpretive truth based on Scripture, but nonetheless, there's some nugget there that when we get into those that walk without God, the emptiness breeds hatred and jealousy 
because those that have that relationship are happy. Think about when you're depressed. Everybody in their life at one point or another has been down or depressed. And think about what it's like to be around somebody who's joyous and laughing and having a good time. You get angry at it. And we're in a world right now when separate depression but take away the relationship with God where so many are walking without him. They're filling this with anger. They're filling this with intensity. They're filling this with adrenaline. And adrenaline's that key drug because once they get adrenaline, they get dopamine. And these are the hits that they're creating within their own body and their own neurochemical system. And they're getting that fix. But to get that fix... It's like you got to turn the music up louder. You've got to have something more grating on your spine. You have to you have to be in a mosh pit beating on each other. You have to have that virulent hatred for something. If you've ever been around people that have had a dysfunctional marriage, it's always amazing how they survive it because part of the surviving of many dysfunctional marriages is they point the anger outside of the marriage and become someone else's fault. They're always incurring and causing problems by somebody other. It's deflection. And as we get to those places, we're not facing the truth within us. And I think that that's where the power is and what the other side so envies and so hates in the same breath. We can't allow ourselves anywhere on this path to doubt God. And if we find ourselves in a point of anxiety, fear, frustration, we have to start being honest because we've done that. God has not. And God told us not to, and yet we've put ourselves into a place. If we're there and we can't get out of it, then we're there because we engineered that, and now we're going to need God more than ever. And just because we're turning to God also doesn't mean the fix is going to be quick. Consider a financial problem, and we end up in a problem. And I've been here. I'm just speaking from truth. You end up in a problem, and everything, it's because you've, Maybe it's a bad business decision. Maybe it's an unfortunate event in business. Maybe it's a bad decision on spending too much money. I don't know. Maybe the job, you got laid off on a job. And then suddenly the credit card debt's due and the house mortgage is due. And there's this knee-jerk reaction to turn to God to say, God, please fix this. Or I'll trust in God to fix this. God didn't ask you to get in debt. God didn't ask us to be servant to someone else in work. God didn't ask us to live beyond our means, but we did, but yet we want God to fix it. And it's, it's a really perverse relationship that we've developed with the Lord. And sadly, what we need is the truth in that relationship to rectify and to right the ship. And the truth begins with us. It's a look in the mirror. And, That's where it's most difficult. Galatians 5, 7 to 10, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion 
whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty as long as we're true to God. But if we're the ones that are creating that penalty, keep in mind, many times we are the one that is creating the confusion so that we are going to pay the penalty. But if we're going to get to that place, we're after going to have to be brutally honest. So back to that example I gave you in Zen. Because one of the most difficult things is the brutality of honesty that has to occur in the process. You have to face yourself to realize who you are in truth, not just who you want to be. And when we face that brutal truth and we're able to confront that, then in the process of Zen, it's a self-transformation. I don't agree with that. It's an interesting process, but it's a lot of pit holes and pitfalls. God's given us something most amazing. He's given us Christ to work with and through. But that doesn't diminish our need to be honest and truthful in a deep and brutal way into ourselves, not to be hanging on to the facts that we're sinners and we will ever be sinners and we're unforgivable and all this nonsense. Because if that's the case, God wouldn't be wasting his time. And I mean this. I mean, he wiped out most everybody on earth with the flood because they were unredeemable. And if we are really going to walk in that path of perpetual sinners and we are, unfor- and we are unworthy, then we're apparently unredeemable, which I don't, I don't buy. And those are words I'm sure that will get some people uneasy because they're going to be like, no, 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 I accepted Christ, but I'm unworthy. No, you accepted Christ, you are worthy. Now you have the hard work to do to be honest with yourself and transform your walk so that it is unified with the full body of Christ in truth. That's the difference. And when we are truly there in that profound place, nothing in this world can touch us, and we literally become not of this world. And that's the goal. And when we're in that place, then I truly believe is when we start to understand the true sense of our inheritance. Luke 10, 19, John 14, 12, right? Luke 10, 19, behold, I have given you the authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. But how can we have authority over all of that when we haven't fixed ourselves? I believe, my opinion that the process of getting saved in church, which is a big moment, it becomes a bit of a deception because I think many people think it's instant and like we're all good. When in fact, the way I see the process is it's the beginning. And it's a lifelong journey then of becoming greater and more united with the body of Christ. And all of that brings us to a really profound place because in, when we take that pursuit and that walk, nothing else out here matters. It doesn't matter that Joe Biden is going to ban high-capacity magazines and wants to ban ARs. I mean, like, okay, big deal. And the drama of all these little things is irrelevant because at the end of the day, we're not accountable to them anyway. We're accountable to God. We start to separate ourselves from the power of the control of a government 
Because this government isn't subordinate to the people, this government is sees us as subordinate to them, and I don't recognize that. I'm subordinate to God, not to men. And all men and women are subordinate to God. So when we start to change our perspectives, it really walks into that place of being ungovernable and being defiant because we aren't going to listen to criminal elements or people that don't want to trust our inalienable rights or want to change them and take things away because they see fit to do so because of their fears of being exposed or whatever it is, or their obsession with power and control over people because they don't want the people to ever rise up. I just don't recognize it because it has no authority over me. I have authority over them because God says so. And the stronger we get into that place, the stronger this army becomes. And it doesn't have to be stronger like the left where we're throwing bricks and burning down buildings and screaming profanities. Our walk is more the walk of the silent and quiet, humble warrior, which is what Christ was. How many times did he stand before the Pharisees and have silence as his response? Even when he's in between the accusers and the adulteress, initially he says nothing. He just lets them talk. Because when he speaks and he's united with Father, the words literally move mountains. Words are life and death. And for me, when we are going to walk this way, we, we start to say less and do more. And we start to be very precise on what we are going to say and do. We're very committed to anything we do speak as a bond and a trust because it's our word with God. And the world doesn't act the same. Because as we demonstrate a way of being, a commitment, a fulfillment, and an absolutes in the sense of if something is said, it shall be completed, that means that with that goes out exaggeration, it goes out hyperbole, metaphor, all that other stuff. And we anchor down into the fact, factual place of living and being and doing. And that means others that do business with us are held to the same standard. Once you start to work and we start to work in our communities with such force as that, we are literally transforming the very fabric of society. And the greatest part of it, it's being transformed in a, in a framework that's in line with God. And so whether or not they realize it, they're now working on the terms which God has established because we're working united in truth with God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight reflective and thinking very deeply in our walk, our walk in truth on this world. A walk that demands of us to achieve greatness and to begin with the truth and honesty within our hearts, to open that to you, to show you truly who we are. And Lord, we say the, I say these words tonight, greatness and, and achievement, and I just I want to qualify that these are through your eyes not through the standards set by some artificial institutions or what a first place looks like or what a trophy looks like, 
but rather the accomplishments which you've put in our heart, the capabilities, the gifts, the talents for us to strive greatly and to do greatly. And for us in the same time to strive deeply and to unite with Christ in such an intimate way, to strip away the baggage, the guilt, the anxiety, the anger, the hatred, to understand that there is such a thing as peace with a cost, not peace at any cost, that in order to stand firmly, there are red lines that we cannot cross. And to do so at the same time as that humble warrior, which doesn't have to be vicious or mean or derogatory to others, but understands very firmly that there are just certain things that we cannot accept. And those things are in the violation of your word and your guidance in Scripture. So, Father, we just ask that you'll guide us in these times for discernment and eyes to see clearly and ears to hear clearly. And also just that loving hand to touch each of us to continue that pursuit of the intimate relationship with you and Jesus in such an amazing way that each breath and step is united in the perfection as you would desire. Guide us, protect us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. It is a time, I would hope, that we're all enjoying this walk. The pursuit and the challenge is immense, and it's a wonderful time. And God is pouring out wisdom, is pouring out love, is pouring out everything. All we have to do is listen and believe. And most of all, trust. And at the core of that, he's told us what the fundamentals, they're not difficult. Fear not. And trust in him. And when we do those things, pretty much everything else is pretty easy. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. Keep those prayers up right now. Prayers for a nation. Prayers for our fellow, our, our members in this fantastic movement, in this walk with God. Keep our prayers up for that deep pursuit of intimacy like father, like son, like father, like daughter. In the end, God will always win, but we are here in this time, in this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow afternoon for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time. Good night. Thank you. God bless. And out for now. All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too. All the nights been pushing through, fight for all we had to lose. Reaching out for something to pull us up to the level ground. Oh, I can see it now, I can 
sunsets down over the hill where the lost got found. Reaching through somehow. Oh, you're an island when the world is too loud. When the seasons change, I know the space between us will stay the same. Resting on this faith, when your soul answers calls far away. Safe place to hide from the rain.